Amen. Take a seat. to take off if you're ready. Wow, that's a row right there. What's going on? Awesome. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. I grew up in a Methodist church. Anybody else got a Methodist background or something like that? So that was all through elementary, junior high, and some of senior high. And it was a beautiful church. It was big and had the pillars out front and had, you know, it had red carpet and pews, you know, long pews. And they had a choir, and everybody that was up front always had a robe on. And the, uh, I got to say, the other guy that's as big as me just came in. What's up, man? Good to see you. <laughs> no, you cannot sneak in. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. I'm glad you're here, buddy. So, uh, uh, you know, and, and they had the thing where they would have uh, three or four people would sit actually on the stage in robes in these fancy chairs while somebody else spoke. You remember that? I don't know why that happened, but I was observing that. So this is the, these are some of the things I saw. I was in the youth choir there in junior high. And so we wore robes and, and all that stuff, and we would sing. We would go around and do concerts and, and things at various times. But, and, I, and I loved it. And one thing about a, a, a youth group thing like that is there's always the different groups of people there. There's the cool people and the athletes and all that. And then there's the middle, creamy middle ground of, you know, normal. And then there's maybe the nerdy set and all that, right? Let's be honest. I'm not going to tell you where I fit. <laughs> there was always the cute girls in there too. And I, I remember... Uh, I had kind of a tragic event in a choir uh, presentation one day. We, there was about six steps, and we would perform. And I was really tall, even back then, in seventh grade or something. And I remember we had this performance, and, of course, I was on the back row because I couldn't stand in front of everybody. And, and I, I distinctly remember this still, even, even now, because of how traumatic it was. But I remember singing and we're performing our music, and the room started to, to seem to get closer and smaller and smaller and smaller and blacker and blacker. I don't know if you had this experience before, but then it got really black. And the next thing that I knew, I was on the floor, you know, four or five steps down, looking up at all the cute girls <laughs> that I had fallen through like a tree. And I remember laying there thinking, okay, either this is, can I wake up? from this and let it be a bad dream or melt into the carpet, go away. But it was totally real and not a good experience (laughs) Uh, for a seventh grade boy. Mm. 
it's rough, but somehow that sticks with me. But also things about that era in my life stick with me around the church and my perception of what the church is and what the church is about. And that's what we're going to look at. That was my early church experience. But we're going to go back to the early church today. Really early. We're going to, we've seen how all these amazing things have gone for Christ to actually give birth to the church and the Holy Spirit to fill the disciples and then this great thing to happen that Chris led us to. Thank you, Chris. We are last week. Uh, where the, this guy who was shot, not shy then, but, but, but was um, afraid to speak up in public, suddenly speaks and gives this amazing testimony and theological discourse and convinces 3,000 people to follow Christ. And when he, when he does that, there's a thing, and Chris and I talked about it several times during the week that, that stuck out to us, and that's that the people say, once, once they've heard this message, they're cut to the heart, and they say, what should we do? What should we, this is in Acts 2 in the mid-30s there. He says, they all say, what should we do? And then Peter says, well, you need to repent and be baptized. And so they do. But there were, that was only part of the answer to the question because here's 3,000 plus people. What do they do next? What was the next step? What do we do? And so in Acts 2.42, you can turn there uh, or we'll put it up here in just a moment. But Acts 2.42 through 47 shows us what they did next and answers that question, what do we do? And really, we need to be asking ourselves, we are a part of this church. There are all kinds of people in here. But if you're a believer in this room today, we need to be asking ourselves, what is the church? What is it about? What's my part in it? They ask themselves, what should we do? What I want to do with this briefly is I want to ask you all to interact with me on it for a second. I'm going to read through the passage, 42 through 47, and then I want to ask you to just share with me any observations that you see in it, anything you see at all, okay? It doesn't matter how small or how great you think it. Just tell me what you think after I read through this. So you can read it up here, read it along in, in your Bible there uh, from the ESV, uh, Acts 2.42. And so I'm going to ask you, this is a quiz, so we're going to start answering questions in just a minute, okay? So be ready. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together they were breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. What do you see in there? Okay, fellowship rings out, for sure. What's that? Okay, the word devoted. They were devoted to these things. Good. What's that? Okay, they had uh, communion. They had the, the Lord's Supper in there. Prayer is critical right up at the beginning. Okay. Praise. Yeah, they sold their possessions and goods. The Holy Spirit's definitely at work. This is a transformed community, right? What else? Okay, giving. They, not only did they sell their goods and, and share, but they gave to people that were in need. Okay, 
gave to the poor. Okay, they're coming together a lot. There's, there's a, a fellowship, which sounds like a brotherhood relationship in there, but they're also meeting together. They're, there's a, a time that they come together. Favor? Yeah, yeah. It says uh, they have favor in the whole, uh, with all people, I think, right? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, they, it, uh, they had sincere, I mean, this was the real deal. Sorry? Absolutely, yeah. This whole thing is a, like you're picking the big theme up. There's a, the big story of this complete change. They, everything is different for these people. What should we do? Their lives are completely now started over in a way. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenging and interesting one. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But he said that they met regularly every day. They were coming together. Yeah, yeah. It, actually, the whole first part doesn't say they really did anything outside, outside except something in the temple maybe, but that God was adding to their number and they had favor of the people. So the, the message of their lives was spreading. And I love, uh, I don't know who was praying up here in the front, but just praying about our community and our engagement as the church. Yeah, they had all things in common. Uh, Mark mentioned that. Earlier, I, hope you, I was hoping you were going to expound on that and go ahead and preach. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They had all things in common. There was... Uh, a, the most important thing in their life was Jesus Christ. And that thing was everything to them. They didn't all have the same color, hair, same clothes, same camel, or whatever they drove. They all had the most important thing in common. Okay, so all of these things are happening, and we could go, honestly, we could go on and on and on in this passage. It is an amazing passage that we can learn from. But we're today, we're going to split this up into two weeks. This week, we're going to look at just 42 into the first part of 43, and next week, we're going to talk about all the rest. And this part is really, uh, and Mark, you mentioned this, it's, it's sort of, these are internal things, these are practices of the church, that they did together. And I, and I appreciate you walking through those. Uh, I, let, me, let me look back at 42 and 43 with you. Just, just real quick, I want to read them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And I'm going to stop right there. It can't be ignored when you read this, and I think you brought this up, that... These people were all in. They were all in. There's no question. And when you read the rest of the story, I mean, we're just in, this, in the chapter two. And you see what this little group of people, what God did through them with the world in Western society. They were all in. When they answered that question, what should we do? They, when, they, when they knew what that answer was, they did those things. And that's, that's really the main point that I want to come to you. The, the, the thing that I want to say to you today is I want to ask all of us, including myself, to seriously consider while I'm talking, while you're reading, while you're studying this week, I don't care when, with God, 
seriously engaging in the local church, in this local church. If you're a local here, if you're a part of this church on a regular basis, I'm definitely saying I want you to consider how you engage in this church. And we're going to talk about what that might look like. If you're a guest here, and there are, I know some of you are here, I am saying the same thing, not only about your home church, yes, but about this church. We're all members of the church. And when you're here, you're a part of this body. And these people here are welcoming you in. We are together in this. We are the church. If you're not a believer and you're in here, then I just listen to what I'm talking about. Look at the words of the scripture and uh, I hope it has an impact on you. I hope you see something that teaches you more about what God created his gathering of believers to be like than what your perceptions might be. So, please contemplate seriously engaging in the church. In one of the, well, there are four practices. We mentioned that, that, that they're going to, we're going to see here, uh, that they engaged in. And I'm going to tell you what they are. They, they studied the word of God. They had fellowship together. They broke bread together. And they prayed. Those are the four things, those internal things that they engaged in. But there's something really important, and I think, that it was, when I'm, you said this, you pointed out the word devoted, Judy. Um, this is the key word that sets off the whole thing. Right in there in 242, right at the beginning. They devoted themselves. In, in the New American Standard Version, it says that they continued to devote themselves. The idea is that they are, uh, the, the, the thing that they were trying to communicate in that translation is that it was something that was ongoing. It was intense. When we were devoted to something, when we devote ourselves, then other things move aside. We may, when we, if I'm devoted and I tell you I'm devoted, then you know I'm sacrificing other things for the thing I'm devoted to, right? And so th- I think I'm translating that word myself. When I say, when I ask us to be seriously engaged... I think devoted is the same word. You can use whatever makes most sense to you. I'm encouraging us to be devoted to this, to the body of believers and the way God set it up. <clears throat> and I want to I uh, be as transparent as I can with you guys in this. Uh, you know, I, I obviously work in a church, and I've worked in a church for a really long time. But I need this message. Uh, even we all, well, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, let's look at the first practice. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We cannot overestimate our dependence and the importance of our commitment to the word of God in this church. It is absolutely critical to who we are. The leadership of this church, it is our responsibility to defend that, that we stand on the foundation of the scripture, the Hebrew scripture and the New Testament. These are the things that we are committed to, okay? There are other things we are definitely committed to, but the scripture and preaching out of the scripture, teaching out of the scripture everywhere it comes out, as a member of the body, all of us together, we are always wanting to check and make sure that the truth of the scripture is coming through when we are meeting together. That is a mark of 
Jesus' church. We're always looking for the scripture to be taught, and we have to defend that, especially in our world. Uh, it is easy to want to accommodate the culture, but the word, of God, the word of God came to impact the culture. We can be relevant to the culture, but we don't adjust for the culture. We can interact with the culture, but we don't change the message, even if it's hard. And we're committed to that, that word. Uh, there's a passage that I love. It's in Isaiah 66. It's, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And at the end of it, God says, This is the one to whom I will look, who, he who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That is the posture of this body. That's the posture of this leadership. We will be humble and we will tremble at his word. We will, that means we've got to know it. We've got to engage with it. You know, uh, lately, we've, uh, you may know this, we've switched over and have been using the ESV, the English Standard Version, for what we're reading out of and putting up here. Before, I, it was the NIV, and that's a pretty standard. Uh, that's, it's been pretty standard to use NIV for a long time. Now, I just wanted to comment on that a little bit, just to give a little clarity why that, that, that's so important. Uh, the doctrine of Scripture for the church, the church of Jesus Christ, is that Scripture is preeminent, it is inerrant, in its original form, it is the Word of God. And we lean on it, and we don't deviate from that. In its original word, everything that is not the original writing is a translation. And we're using it to help inform us to understand what the original writings were. And that's why we send people off a lot smarter than me to go spend time studying the, the scripture in the original text so that they can inform us and, and make sure that we're on track with what it really says. And, and wonderful people have done that with these translations too. And there's two ways to look at trans, two, this, the continuum of translation looks like this. There is the word for word on one side and there is the uh, uh, thought for thought on the other end. And so some of you may have the message or have read the Message Bible, which is a great translation. The point of it is to get the thought communicated about what the Scripture is about. If you want to know the words of Scripture, you don't pick up the message and try to look there. It, that, that's not the point of that. And you can read it in the introduction of the, the, from the people who wrote it. On the other end, word for word, some of you probably have had the New American Standard, and I referenced it just a minute ago. It's the one that's the closest to the text of the, of the Old and New Testament. So now, of course, if we had it just right out of the Old Testament, we'd be reading from right to left, and it wouldn't make any sense at all, okay? Because they didn't have that many words anyway. It's all much different. But in, in the New Testament, when you read the NAS, you'll read some stuff, and it's kind of hard to read because it's following as closely to the text as it was written as possible. And that's a good place to go study. So that if the message is over here, and this is the New American Standard, and really the Greek is over here, in the middle is the New International Version. Okay? And then the ESV is probably right in here. It's just a step over. It's just a little easier to understand. But it does a great job of translating. So anyway, that's my little message on thought and literal translation. But... Here's the deal and why it's so important in this message today. And actually, Mark brought this up. I was really thankful for that. In the ESV, when you read this, will you throw that up there on the screen? When you see in 242, it says that they engaged, uh, they were devoted to uh, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the word, and, and the prayers. 
all of those, the word the is a definite article. And it indicates that it's a specific thing. But you might have another translation here today that doesn't have the in front of that, each one of those words. In the, in the original Greek, the the is in front of each word. So later in the passage, it says they ate together. It says three times they ate together. But in the first part, it says they had the breaking of bread and the prayers. And you can't see that except in the ESV. Maybe I didn't read all the translations, but I read about four and I didn't see it anywhere else. So do you see how it's important to know what we're looking at, why we're using a certain scripture to get the truth? Okay. So it's, it's really important in there. Okay, so the scripture is critical. And I'm asking us to seriously engage in the scripture. And we could talk about that forever, but that is one thing that the early church did when they said, what are we about? They were devoted to that. They were also devoted to fellowship. And if you look down in 46, 46 says that they met regularly. Kevin brought that up. They got together regularly, even every day in this case. We've sort of moved that in most of modern history to one day that we all try to get together. And we have this fellowship event. But there's a funny thing that has happened, I guess naturally, and I think it happened really early, and that's when the things that we do become, uh, in the place that we go, become more important than the things we were originally about. So we need to have an accurate understanding of what the church is. Some, did anybody go to the Titans soccer game the other day? That was nice stuff. It was really fun. Go Titans. Uh, at least the uh, uh, varsity had a great game. And they were able to, in overtime, a very exciting game, win the homecoming game here. So, yeah, it was great. And then Telluride had a long drive home. <laughs> Can you imagine? Such a bummer. Um, it was great. It was a huge crowd. It was a fun community event. I really thought that was really cool. Interesting contrast to last night, as far as community events go, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little boy, and I went to Venetoc, and I was like, oh. Um, it would be like the Titans soccer club saying when they, and none of this is wrong, but it would be like them saying, when they have their locker room meeting, when they go and, and get pumped up and, and visit, get their, their plan for the game, before the game, they call that Titan. And then they, later on, the, the sponsors and all the parents got together, let's build them a room where they can have Titan. And we'll call it Titan. And so now that's what we have. We have the church. Because the members of the church are us. This is not the church. This is a building. Believers all across the globe, are the church. So when we come together, we just happen to be meeting here in church. Okay? And we call it church. And unfortunately, well, not, I'm not saying unfortunately, but for many of us and for me, often this is the main thing. Okay? So this is where we got to get right about fellowship. When we come together, this thing that we do when we get 
in the same place. This is the huddle. This is not the end. I got taken in at a conference I went to one time where the speaker was saying, you need to spend most of your resources, you need to spend all of your time, you need to get the best of everything because the main event is this, this thing we're doing right now. And I, a long time ago, I bought that. I thought, that makes sense. Everybody comes. Everybody's there. It's the time to be your best. No. That is not true. This is not the main thing. The main thing is what happens out there. Rosie, I was talking to Rosie the other day, and she said she was praying. She just had this thought, this vision of, of Obi Joyful in, in the body here, and the walls of Obi Joyful just not being here, this church building not being here. And the, the body just being engaged in this community. That, that's, the, that's the thing that, that, because Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in the world. Not you're going to hole up in your church and have fellowship together and eat together and all of these things and be happy and, and rub each other's backs and navel gaze. Because what happens when everybody's in the huddle? Right? Who, what does everybody else see? And for some people, that's not the best view. Yeah. <laughs> this, so, I just want to elucidate a little bit about what I'm asking us to commit to in fellowship is, yes, I'm definitely saying we need to get together regularly. We need to be fed in the Word and these other things we're going to talk about. But this is not the main thing. This is the huddle to be ready. This is the pep talk. This is the encouragement. This is the fellowship to be ready for living out life. Okay, so that's two things. Uh, They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And, And this is important, the breaking of bread. This is a specific thing that they were doing. There is a sense in which if there's a, there's eating together when they fellowship, Normally, and that's what we do. In fact, Terry Lynn was just mentioning that. Thank you to all of you who engage in making that possible. That is a great thing. We have, uh, I, I think those who are leading in that space and serving there and bringing their gift of hospitality are actually absolutely walking in the footsteps of the early church. And that's really cool. I mean, it's just one-to-one. I am, when I feed people here in fellowship, I'm at, walking absolutely in the footsteps of the early church. And when we engage and enjoy that together, we are. But there is the second step of that that is the, the Lord's Supper. And when, when these people partook in, in the Lord's Supper, this was a... Uh, um, we, I think we have to remember the proximity of the event because, in, in terms of time. Because it was just a few weeks before that Jesus actually instigated this uh, meal. Now, the Jewish people were used to meals, right? They had Passover. In fact, when Jesus came and was, the week that he was crucified was the week of Passover. So everybody was there. And at Passover, many of you have been a part of a Passover supper before, they look for the Messiah. They missed that. And then Jesus, the night before he's crucified, the night that he's crucified, he says, he sets up another ritual meal. And he says, this isn't to look forward to the Messiah. This is to remember the Messiah. 
And so what's cool is that uh, these people are, they, some of them were in the room with them, and some of them know the people who are in the room with them. They're together in this place, or, or however they're meeting, and they're having this, uh, uh, this meal that Jesus instituted to remember him. And we're going to do this, and Mark's going to lead us in just a few minutes. And I want to encourage you, when you come to that table, uh, that you ask God to help you be devoted to that, to, to set aside the distractions, to in, fully engage in that event. Well, there's, there's one more thing that it uses a definite article about in 42, and that's the prayers. They were devoted to the prayer. So I, I think that tells us at least two things, that prayer is an integral part of the gathering of believers. And I actually had a, an experience this morning where I really had to, to practice what I'm asking of you because, um, like I said, whenever I get up, and my experience in front of a church hasn't always been successful. Sometimes I pass out. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, did I remember this? Did I, am I going to say that? And so I found myself, when it was time to pray, having to say, are you going to apply the message or not? Are you going to say, set aside what's going on in your life, what's going on in five minutes, what you're worried about, what you're excited about this afternoon, anything else, all the things, and focus on talking to God now. They were devoted to that thing, that kind of prayer. And I also think that they were devoted to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave them this prayer to pray. And there are two things about it I want to just very briefly point out. It says, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's all about him, right? And then after that, it says, But please forgive us and give us our daily bread. Jesus delivered that to them. And since it's the prayer, and it's one of the only the prayers that we have, we can be sure that they used it. And there's two pieces to it. There's this um, glorification of God. And then there is this interaction where the king of the universe, who we've just glorified, actually cares about feeding us and meeting our needs. And so there's this amazing posture and relationship between the people of God and, and God himself. And that happens, and we're aware of that in prayer. Because we're talking, we're saying, Lord, you are great, and you are good, you are holy, you are worthy, everything is yours, nothing is mine, I'm a wretch except for you. You have made everything happen for me. Lord, please protect, please give, please feed. And God cares about it. And that's the posture of the church. So four things that they were engaged in. When they said, what shall we do? They, they began to follow Christ and they were baptized. But they, they started these these initial principles. And the significant ingredient across the board on all of them is that they were devoted. They were all in. But there's, there's one last thing at the beginning of verse 43 that's really important. Can you put 43 up there, Terry Lynn? And awe came upon every soul. We're just going to look at that part. It's, it's become apparent to me that if you're in Crested Butte, then you are someone who 
uh, is addicted to awe at some level. People who don't care about awe aren't here. Or they may be in some other place like it, right? They may be on the beach or wherever they find their awe, but whether it's sitting by a fire and reading a book and looking at the scenery, whether it's some sick downhill, just the cast, when you see it go out, you, there's a sense of awe. The, the things that we look for to fill up, and find, we love awe. We love that. And when I think, all right, what the scripture is saying is these people invested, they, they were devoted to, they were all in, in these things of the church. And it, and it provided, the result was awe. And it's not just awe like I can get from going and doing something really fun on the mountain. It, it was awe that God gives. And there's one more thing about it. Did you see what kind of awe it went? Where did the awe go to? soul. That's better than an experience. That's better than a memory that you might forget or something that happened yesterday and might happen again. This goes to your soul. Now that's cool. When God reaches into your soul through the things of the church and provides you with awe. And I don't know, Rosie, if it was you, but whoever it was that said in the, ch- the people outside saw so is, is you, or the, the people outside the church were attracted because there was a sense, not just a sense of awe, there was awe in the soul of the believers. When you see someone who has awe in their soul, you know something's different. And I'm not prescribing a list of things to do so you'll have awe in your soul, because that's not how God works. It just isn't what he does. He's not a formulaic person. But I can say, that we should follow the model of the devotion of the early church. And it's my prayer that as we do that, as we engage significantly, as we seriously engage in the church, as we devote ourselves to these things, that what will happen is that I, I believe we will begin to sense, have not only a sense of awe, but we will be filled with, in our soul with awe. And that's, that is, I would love to see that in our church, in my heart as well. So I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to have communion together. So, Lord, I just uh, come to you. You have provided the words of Scripture for us. You've provided incredible translations from brilliant people who love you and love your word. And we can study those and know more about you. We can know how to follow you. We can know how to walk with you. We can, God, we want that, um, we don't want church to be a building. Um, We don't want to be um, coming here because it's on our schedule. Lord, I I pray that our church, um, that your church, that the churches in this community would be devoted to those things that are your things and that you would use them and that we would have a sense of your awe in our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. I did.